Welcome to the Lions Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Monday evening teaching. It's nice to see you people. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the ocean of reasoning. <clears throat> Probably a couple of people have gotten it through it, which is fantastic. Um, however, I've also gotten some, um, I don't know if I can get through it, kind <laughs> of comments. So, which is good, you know, if you're having struggles uh, or you even have an opinion, that's the right thing to do. So, uh, I'm considering. Uh, actually spending another uh, month on uh, Ocean of Reasoning with, uh, you know, supplemental texts by Tsongkhapa. Uh, <clears throat> Dirk was uh, very nice and got me a copy of uh, a commentary uh, uh, on the praise for dependent relativity. Uh, of course, I've read different, you know, this is this is maybe Lama Tsongkhapa's, in some sense, most famous text. But uh, the old one had just um, uh, the commentary by Alosan Gyatso. And he, he's added, uh, he's a monk, he's added things since then. It's interesting, I have an original copy. So it's kind of nice. And then you read and what Graham did on this. is uh, um, He's a, actually Western Geshe now. So he, he added some, he mixed his own commentary in. So he gets very topical. <clears throat> the um, praise for dependent relativity is a long poem uh, composed by Tsongkhapa. Uh, you know, immediately uh, upon his realization. So uh, it was held in uh, especially high regard. <clears throat> It's uh, it's still not a Zen haiku, <laughs> you know. It's like it still isn't like old pond frog jumps in splash. You know, it's not that. Uh, so, you know, how many verses do we have? Fifty-three. Uh, yeah. So, um, no, fifty-eight. Yeah. Dedication starts at 53. So, <clears throat> but what uh, I do like, um, let's see what his monk's name is. Um, doesn't say. So, um, so we'll just call him Monk Graham. So I do I do appreciate um, how he how he has laid things out, which might help uh, to make sense of the big book like that yeah the big book so anyway by maybe going a little bit longer you will also get um, a more rounded sense of uh, Lama Sankaba's writings so many people of course are doing uh, and following along with the middle-length Lam Rim with Geshla, right? 
So uh, you can say, okay, I'm reading Lam Rim, which is really good, and uh, that's core work. But actually, maybe slowing down and a little read, reading praise for dependent relativity, maybe that's good. <coughs> Initially, I wanted just the first year to just be the uh, Indian Panditas, the you know the Nalanda and Vikramacharya, the great monasteries, because that's traditionally what they read. Um, but <clears throat> another um, Patty's writing all this down, or it's being recorded, so that's good. Um, another key text that actually, well, I think Jadarimshay gave a talk on is uh, called the three principal aspects of the path. First, once again, like, not not a haiku, but... Um, not too long. 14 verses. Do you wish I had signed this first? I'll tell you why I didn't. <coughs> um, the... Um, uh, the translator, Ruth Sonam, a Westerner, and uh, the teachings by Geshe Sonam Minchin, who actually, I, I received teachings from him in Dharamsala. Uh, looks like, you know, this is a book. So, a lot of people think Ruth Sonam was like Geshe Sonam's wife. Uh, no. <laughs> he was monk. She's householder. <laughs> Poor lady, you know, like, nice name. So, Then, uh, if you want to read more commentaries, and, and the probably the third most used quoted poem uh, is called "The Foundation of All Good Qualities." So uh, sometimes uh, <clears throat> we forget what the foundation of all good qualities is. Um, so that's worthwhile to study and um, the commentary is by uh, Geshe Geltsen who um, passed away maybe 10 years ago he uh, was in Long Beach and um, uh, brought the Dalai Lama to LA quite a few times and uh, probably his group uh, you know through Drepung still is the only group like doing the, the tours, the monastic tours. <clears throat> uh, the center in Long Beach um, was really nice. It was really nice. It has this huge room. It used to be a furniture showroom. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's great. <laughs> and uh, uh, Geshe Gyaltan, interesting. Um, I didn't know him that well, but you know, you get to know people a bit. And uh, I'm just bringing the human quality in here. So, um, towards that, you know, I don't know, maybe in his 50s or something, um, he decided to get married, which was interesting. Um, so, okay, off, off came the robes and he's walking around. Um, well, all things being impermanent, 
uh, <laughs> uh, he and his wife split up, right? And what was very unique is that uh, the Dalai Lama reordained him, which generally doesn't happen, you know, if you're just kind of like, no, you, you know. So um, I think uh, Dalai Lama held him in high esteem, or maybe, he's, he, maybe Dalai Lama was thinking, well... <laughs> <laughs> You fill it in. So, uh, <laughs> the foundation of all good qualities, uh, you know, it's very famous. The foundation of all good qualities is the kind guru. Cultivating the guru properly is the root of the path. Realizing this clearly with great diligence, bless me to rely on the guru with highest devotion. So, many people um, uh, ask about guru yoga, and this is um, a classic one. Of course, we, you know, later on in the program, We'll, we'll be reading, you know, more from great teachers like, of course, uh, Padmasambhava and Yeshit Sogya and Longchenpa and so forth. <coughs> so, there's that. And if you just can't get any more of like this kind of Madhyamaka wisdom teachings, and you go, I, I just gotta, I can't figure this stuff out, or you know, of it, then. Um, this book uh, put together by Alan Wallace by uh, one of his teachers Genlam Rinpa it's called Realizing Emptiness and um, he has a nice chapter at the end uh, a couple of chapters uh, one is on Dzogchen and the other one is on uh, Madhyamaka and Dzogchen um, so uh, students here know I I'm very much interested in how those work together, as is His Holiness Dalai Lama. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, maybe 1989, is that when Dalai Lama got Nobel Peace Prize? He was giving uh, in San Jose empowerment on the uh, eight manifestations of Guru Rinpoche. It was a very incredible time to be there. And of course, the Dalai Lama has a book on Dzogchen. Um, it was just interesting, you know, you get that kind of blend of Madhyamaka kind of analysis and uh, style of uh, absurdity and with, with a, a Dzogchen uh, approach. It was very unique. <clears throat> And uh, also, Dalai Lama has a wonderful chapter in the classic book, Kindness, Clarity, and Insight, where he, he talks about uh, how, how do we relate uh, the different schools and how do you talk about clear light and uh, how do you talk about clear light and Mahamudra and Dzogchen. Very interesting. Then <clears throat> we really, really got to even go crazier, of course. I haven't wanted to... I just read the book, the big book, but then... There's a book Dalai Lama's talking on the famous wisdom char- chapter from the Bodhicharavatara called Transcendent Wisdom, right? I'm giving in. People say, can I read a little bit? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I need a, an explanation. <clears throat> uh, but um, why, why is it that... Uh, I wanted people in the program to read um, Ocean of Reasoning. 
because this is like uh, uh, this is getting into the room with Tsongkhapa. This is like getting into sitting in on the discussion, which he's having kind of with himself and also with uh, the other beings. So in our tradition, um, we know that, of course, all things are um, dependent, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean they don't exist, right? So, of course, Manjushri can show up and you know, give teachings and, or Tara. Uh, so, or, of course, Guru Rinpoche, so forth. So, uh, when Lama Sankhava is, you know, talking, giving the commentary, the sacred understanding is that, of course, Manjushri is there, and in a sense, uh, all, all the other um, bodhisattvas are, are there. You know, just like there, like we're there, you know. So, uh, he's just kind of talking like that. So it's important to become familiar with that kind of style of talking and style of discussion and uh, what I call in America yogi shop talk. If um, you went to the Mind and Life conferences that the Dalai Lama goes to, you know, it's very formal. It's a little bit too formal for me when I uh, look at the videos. Anybody watch those? Um, but you know, it's, you know, <laughs> no one's ever interrupted, <laughs> and so it, it, it's not totally real. You know, it'd be more like, you know, they're just all kind of getting in there, and so that's how you want to imagine, like Lama Sankhapa's talking to these different, um, from different point of view, and quoting different sutras like that, <clears throat> so that the um, uh, the style uh, is a little bit more. Uh, maybe spherical or something instead of just linear um, Yeshe Losang and um, Graham Monk Graham um, it's probably Tenzin something I don't know but uh, do you lay it out in uh, in the dependent relativity book um praise for dependent relativity in very kind of academic, Western academic style, right? They just kind of lay it out. <clears throat> because Geshe Losang uh, started the Institute for Buddhist Dialectics in Dharamsala, uh, which was pretty much uh, geared for Westerners. Not entirely, of course, but uh, and now I think going through that, of course we have Geshe Mas, right? I'm not sure how many female geshes there are now, but you um, you can't just show up at Sarajay or Drepung or Gondon or um, Minderling or any place and say, "I'm here. I'd like to join the monastery." They won't have you. I mean, it's the same as showing up at Harvard and saying or Stanford, "I'm here," right? Um, because they don't know who you are. You don't speak Tibetan. Maybe they'd let Bob Thurman in, but um, they wouldn't—they wouldn't let you just drop in and take a course. Or they, you know, they'd have to say, "Well, you, you're going to live here the next 20 years." 
but institute is like you could live you could have your own like little apartment and uh, down Saller and McLeod Gange and, and you know go to classes and stuff it may have changed since I was there but so the point is that the book and the commentaries Nisha Losang and of course grammar are geared towards the uh, style of presentation that we're used to like that so I wanted people to get um, a sense of the authentic style and um, where you're just kind of you're sitting in a room and somebody had just said that and then the, maybe the Dalai Lama said that or some kind of said that and you go, well, what did you just say? And you know, like that. Doesn't it feel like that when you're reading it? A little bit? I mean, he does follow things along. So I want you to learn how to follow that uh, that kind of style. So the teachers kind of weave in and out like that. There is a sense where uh, you you kind of just give up and read, and that's what's hoped for, is that you just kind of give up and follow along. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do want you to get the main points and have a good um, essay coming from it. So uh, I don't know. The, these must be fairly easy to get, right? Those. Yeah, like this. Uh, this book. So, yeah, this book would be hard because it's published privately through Tupton Darkeling, you know. Um, this one. You know, so if you have to get one book, this one. But Ginla Ripa's book on realizing emptiness is interesting. So, John Paul Tenzin. Gen, Gen means uh, teacher, like that. So, not Jan, but Gen. And Lamrim, you know, right? So, Pa means person. Well, stages of the path person. Teacher, stages of the path person. So, kind of like nickname. So, sometimes people call. Uh, their teachers genla like that right so informal because you would call like formally because I always get addressed like Sergey formally dear you know uh, Lama Yeshe Jimpala you know like that but just form you know informally you might just say genla like that in that kind of academic setting yep. mm-hmm. Who, who's still reading Ocean Who's finished? Okay, good. Okay, so yeah, so uh, take take a little bit more time and you know dig into uh, praise for uh, dependent relativity, and that will help you, right? And kind of go back over the passages. I've also wanted you. He goes through every single, tries to hit every single major. Uh, Abhidharma or Buddhist category and uh, the fortunate people readers here will get stuck on something (laughs) where uh, it won't seem like that that can't be empty so that's good news because you you want your your conceptual mind to be stuck 
not not in the stuck way. It's a different stuckness than um, the um, stuckness that looks like you're. There's a stuckness where you're driving 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, which is what most people are doing. You know, and they think they're going great, but they're going the wrong. Then there's the stuckness where, uh, like, you have to have a temporarily stop. Like, third noble truth, neurota, cessation. Like, for a second, it's just like, it stops. <clears throat> so uh, that that's important to have... Uh, uh, where you're a little bit exhausting conceptual mind. Does that remind anybody of one of the verses from Dilopa's uh, Mahamuda Upadesha? Should, a little bit? Okay. Stopping. Stopping, right? Go look it up, see. Maybe I'm making it up, right? I know. It's difficult reading it at its Westerners, um, particularly in California, because um, we have different ideas about mind and, and body or form. In Buddha Dharma, mind is a non-material phenomena. And this is material <laughs> form. <coughs> So, uh, mind has its own uh, rail, <laughs> it, it, its own like uh, engine, you know, steam engine, and one rail here. So, there's non-material phenomena, material phenomena like that, and uh, our being runs on both of those. <clears throat> so, the Magdhimaka school. Um, is not um, an idealistic school where everything's um, an emanation and we're calling everything mind. Because it can feel like that, right? We're just saying, well, everything's made of mind stuff. Doesn't it? Sometimes, well, when you read Yogacara, you'll see. But sometimes we think, oh, like everything's just kind of mind stuff, right? Maybe you're a projection of mind. Well, that, that's uh, a Chittamatra uh, mind-only school. <clears throat> Madhyamaka school, particularly the emphasis on Kaba makes, is uh, things are designated by mind, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily mind. <laughs> it's subtle, right? Okay. So, <clears throat> the other part that I would like people to address in their essays is uh, what Lama Sankhava is really interested in is like, what, what's essence? You know, he really drills into that. Of course, Nagarjuna does, but... Uh, all these things we talk about, like things existing from their own side, that they're substantial, that they're concrete, uh, that they exist in and of themselves, <clears throat> that they have inherent existence or self-sufficient. These are coming at things from a little different, 
angle, but they uh, all you know, coalesce under you know essence swabhava. So uh, we say you know uh, nil swabhava, not no essence. So it's important to when you're reading through ocean, then like uh, how's how's he trying to like uh, you know. Talk about essence. How, what what kind of stamp is Sankhapa putting on, uh, you know, and, and drawing out the uh, what he sees as Nagarjuna's understanding of what essence is. That's important. Uh, Graham has saying Graham Monk Graham and uh, Geshe Losang. Um, he does a good job of, uh, you know, talking about uh, the breaking down what Lama Sankhaba is interested in doing, which is refuting different, more subtle natures of self. Because that's the final thing that we're going after. We're not really interested whether chairs or tables or mugs or cups or pens are empty, right? Or really, we're really in, interested in me, the me self, right? So we have to destroy <laughs> or liberate all the other kind of phenomena until we finally come to um, what's, what's going on with this sense of self. So the three, uh, I like the way uh, Graham does it. Um, the three objects of refuta- refutation, it's called, going from coarse to subtle are refuting the permanent, unitary, independent self. Permanent, unitary, and independent. This is generally like trashing the Hindu idea of Atman. Um, but some people just stop there. But uh, I like that uh, Monk Graham brings out Lama Sankhaba's criticism of that, is that, yeah, it looks like that's going to be an experiential thing, but we're really just cutting down the explanation of how the self should be, not how it actually operates. So he tells people, like, if you ask for an explanation about the self, you'll get one thing, if you try to look at how does it actually operate and how it must be uh, when it operates, it's going to be different. So uh, the permanent, unitary, independent self is like really generally what the Atman, like that. <clears throat> then there's the self-sufficient, substantially existent self. So... This, this is how generally, you know, like more like our sense of who we are. For example, when we're feeling good um, health-wise, there's money in the bank, you know, we feel kind of like, I got my act together. <laughs> you know, and what could go wrong? And <laughs> nothing. And, you know, I know who I am. And, uh, you know, why don't they just get it? But, you know, so like that. So it, we feel very, you know, uh, 
you know, this kind of, not, not, it doesn't necessarily even have to be prideful, but we feel like, okay, really put together. Yeah. <clears throat> so Lama Sankapa says, well, that, that's great, but that, that's not either what we're totally, that's not the most subtle we're feeding. The other schools say that too. So he's saying, no, we're, we're going to trash the Samkhyas or the Jains or, you know, whatever, yoga schools. And then we're, we're going to kind of say the other schools, which we agree with, there is no self-sufficient substantially existent self. But we're saying not only that, but there's no inherently essentially existing self either. So that's seems the most subtle So I, uh, I like that he spells it out that way because um, what what does it mean, you know, when uh, we're saying that uh, you know there's really no uh, inherently uh, existent self? Well, it should be shocking, like. Uh, the teacher Ken McLeod translates Heart Sutra as the Heart Attack Sutra. <laughs> what Lama Sankaba is going through is the self exists just by mere designation, just by giving it a name. That it just it it's just like a name. And that seems kind of shocking, right? Because we're kind of thinking, well, yeah, I know I don't have a permanent existing, but I have a self that's kind of like intertwined with everybody and made of mind stuff, and it's good. You know, it feels like I'm connected with everybody, and, you know, my connections, and we're, we're you know, like crystals, and, you know, net, you know Indra's net and all that. Just, it's all made up. Just, it's all made up. We were given a name, we heard it a million times, and so, like, that's me. Just mere designation. Mere, when they use that, he's um, sticking what's called the Prasangika school, which is the consequence school. There's the school of Bhavaviveka, the uh, Sotantrika school, that the other sub-school of Madhyamaka. And that's steady too in the monasteries, right? So that's important, you know, we'll look at that. Um, the idea there is that, um, well, wait a minute, you know, so Bobby Vega is saying, there's got to be something, you know, that um, is coming from its own side that we would we know we call it water and we could call it agua or something. We know we, we have language and you know, realities beyond language and all. But there's got to be actually something there that where water is different than your tree. Right? There's got to be something from its side that gives us a basis of designation. Right? That, that means you know, we can notice that that's that. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? Lama says, well, it sounds like it makes a lot of sense, 
But when we look at it deeply, it doesn't make any sense. That's where your head should explode. That's where we should be thinking, wait a minute, it doesn't feel like that at all. It, it would it would mean that the whole freaking thing is made up. It's just a freaking house of cards. Um, you know, like that. It should feel like so close to almost being nihilistic that you go, that, that, that just doesn't, there's no way. So then you want to notice, like, it's a little bit of almost like being in court or something. Then you want to know, it's like, well, how's Sankapa going to get out of this one? Of falling into, like, it's all just cosmic bullshit. So that's, that's where you want to keep reading. So the real excitement of uh, this kind of practice or scholarship is uh, it's, there's a certain kind of brinkmanship to it. Like if you're watching, I don't know, some sport or something, or maybe, you know, some evil Knievel. <laughs> you know, like you're watching something like, I don't know, can they do this? You know, high wire act. And they pull it off, right? And you're thrilled. So that's kind of the, um, the excitement of, like, it's too hard to believe that can't be right. But then... Uh, if you follow along, just like I was saying on Sunday, you eventually, it's, every other possibility has been shown to be not true. So you just ended up there. So we, we, if we just refute an Atman, but have some other kind of self that rides on the on the skandhas, the aggregates, or is embedded within the aggregates, or is, you know, da da da, or all my aggregates are your aggregates, or something. Then that's still very coarse from our point of view. We recognize that the lower schools have that. We call them lower. We recognize that it could be skillful means. But can we get to the point where you can rest in equanimity? rest in samadhi and like a mere designation and not see that as uh, another kind of positive but just as a non-affirming negative a little bit Jay Garfield went into like um, talking about uh, in his commentary about a non-affirming negative so you might want to go back and check that because that's that's a big thing, you know, in Lama Sankapa school, non non affirming negative. Like we're just saying no, and no doesn't mean necessarily yes to anything else. <clears throat> There's sometimes the assumption that it's it's only like, you know, Gillick School that reads Lama Sankapa, that's not true. Uh, <clears throat> well, maybe, I don't know, 30 years ago. So, story is um, uh, Trung Paramshay's uh, regent, Ursul Tenzin, uh, uh, was late for a ceremony or late for dinner. I'm not sure which. He was out playing golf, mm-hmm. as, as he would do. And um, uh, the Vidyadra Trungpiram Shay kind of uh, 
was very fierce and actually like um, I think took his hand and then he was doing calligraphy and just like no (laughs) he just went no and then that became a famous kind of calligraphy is the big no and uh, uh, black ink went all over Calipa Court Uh, he had um, uh, at one point all white furniture and white rugs so it was a real drag but like no like no and people say no what and you go just no just like Prajnaparamita Sutra here so reading reading this you'll you'll get an idea of well the Heart Sutra now makes in some weird way maybe makes a little bit more sense as a definitive teaching not a um, provisional teaching like just like we said well that that is the way it is the heart sutra should sound really really weird does it yeah so so to be able to talk about things that we know uh, things are created or things exist through mere designation doesn't mean that there isn't um, karma, there isn't uh, mind, there isn't uh, rebirth, right? So how does, how do we say, what's the nature then also of uh, conventional truth? Because actually Dr. Garfield's very good at reminding like it's two truths, not one truth and kind of a falsehood, right? It's two truths. Uh, Padmasambhava expressed in my my mind is as spacious as the sky and my activity is as fine as barley flour. So let's take a few uh, comments and then we need to do uh, our non-conceptual direct um, valid cognition what, what is valid cognition in Sanskrit, Roberta? Remember? Yeah. Pramana. Yeah. Direct. Valid. Valid cognition. is good no questions that's okay yes please oh good good James go yeah that's good uh, so if everything is just designation how does designation arise yeah so that's what we're interested yes <clears throat> it doesn't work So if everything is mere designation, how does designation arise? It seems like there has to be a, a first cause, right? <laughs> there is not a first cause for, you know, how can designation arise? Designation would also be what? A relative phenomena. Okay. 
Mo you know, probably, probably Buddha Dharma is the only major kind of religion philosophy that doesn't really have an explanation or a mythology uh, or a blame of how mistakes, how, uh, and I'm not calling designation necessarily a mistake, but how misknowledge arises. We don't have a first cause. Yeah, it was the apple. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the apple either. But it was the. Uh, how does how does it happen that we get confused? Right. We're not mere designation by itself isn't confusing. We just know. We're just saying. It doesn't have to be confusing. The Buddha said, "I'm I'm going to take a rest now." Shariputra, you give the talk. He's not. He's saying he's using conventional language with mere designation. So, what probably your question is like: How do we? How is it that uh, we fall into uh, avidya, non-knowing, or mi misknowing? Yeah, that sounds better. That sounds better. Yeah. <clears throat> So the important part of working with Madhyamaka is that even, even though we, we might not be able to, ex we, we, we'd like to explain it kind of process-wise, da-da-da, and we'd like to kind of find, like, here's where it went wrong, we just know that it can't be that way. Because the, the reason we're doing this kind of methodology is that we become convinced that uh, it can't be a certain way. We can't explain things from an entity position, from an essentialist position. If we talk talking about something that could exist prior by itself, defined only by itself, not by defined other things, we can't find that thing. So we're not going to be able to find ignorance as something separate either. Like that. Still, we, we're curious, like, well, <laughs> you know, like that. So, um, there, there are times in different um, presentations uh, uh, in Yogacara and Chinamatra kinds of styles, mind only styles, and um, uh, in, in some higher texts, Atta Yoga, Dzogchen, Mahamudra, about, okay, here's, here's what kind of happens. But it actually isn't, um, isn't like a breakdown cause and effect. It's more like, um, well, why is you know, the world in such a mess? Well, because people are ignorant, you know. That's the explanation. You know, it just kind of just lays there. Like, for some reason... Uh, we forget. That's really it. We forget. We don't see. We don't see the clear knowing nature of uh, unlimited awareness. We kind of fall in, 
you know, sometimes called falling into a swoon almost, like we pass out, we black out. And then when we emerge from the blackout, then we're creating the subject-object world. But that's kind of like, not, not a, like we saw this under the meditation microscope. It's kind of just uh, still uh, somewhat explanation because n- no one was present there uh, for the blackout. Like that. I don't know. Does that make sense a little bit? Yeah. So we're more interested in um, uh, just just take the thing out of your eye right away. You know, like something stuck in your eye. You know, instead of figuring out, well, how did it get there? Or just like the famous um, dialogue the Buddha had with uh, a seeker who wanted to, you know, asking a lot of metaphysical questions as they still do in India. And, you know, you're going to die before you find out because it's like an arrow and you're interested in finding out who shot it and, you know, what class and cast. So the program... uh, the, not just our program, but that program is that uh, at least we clear out a lot of the intellectual cobwebs. Okay? And then, based on that, you know, it's like cleaning out a jug or a jar or something, then, then you do the meditation. Yes? That's Yeah. What I wanted to ask is just kind of like that because um, this is all very intellectual and exhausting. <laughs> and um, so when I think about, well, how do I meditate about this? I'm, I mean, I'm really very rudimentary. Okay, well, I'm still at the dismantling the table and the chairs and all that, you know. Yeah. But this is not that. And so do I just keep on trucking and then eventually I'll get to that get, get to look at nature of self and mind you mean yeah I mean I don't yeah. even it sounds like there's a more, much more sophisticated way to delve into it medi- from a meditation standpoint and I certainly I'm not there so do I just keep going on with the intellectual part and eventually then we'll get there it actually isn't like that you know because of course we're, we're always uh doing uh, non-narrative meditations, direct meditations while we're studying. So that's why I always say um, you you always have to uh, do more um, direct, uh, non-conceptual meditations than, than study. So you can't just study. You, we're, we're always doing, like the shamatha, we're always doing vipassana, we're always doing... Uh, Mahamudra and Dzogchen, we're always doing that. We're always resting the nature mind too. So we can't just study and then then suddenly do that. But the idea is actually you you refine the intellect enough and get rid of like ridiculously stupid ideas. That's what it feels like. When I'm meditating, I still have ridiculously stupid ideas. Yes. Ridiculously stupid ideas will not um, immediately be... uh, blown out 
by some breakthrough, you know, experience. What happens uh, is that um, your your experience, experiential thing, like, is going only to be as large as your teacup or your bowl. Okay. Uh, so, you know, so if you have a narrow kind of untrained intellect, in a sense, um, that that you know the 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 water of, of realization will be in there, but it'll only be that big. See, that's the thing. You you you're we're really like opening up to a very very large unlimited container. <laughs> well, uh, you're getting over of what are you getting over? You know, the, uh, I'm supposed to get this and get to first base and second base, and you know, that's just the traditional, ridiculous, yeah, that's way. yeah, like let's just get the right answer, yeah, and yeah. It's just even yeah. So, you want to give that up. This is this is why this is why I said okay, read this because you you should at some point give up that methodology but completely. Forget it keeps creeping in there. Yes, it does. You know, you forget like oh, so it's it's more of a gradual. Actually, analysis is a good word. A gradual loosening of our conceptual vice grip, like that. So. Um, people sometimes in the West who are thinking that, well, I'll, I just won't read anything or study or think about anything and I'll, I'll just meditate and I'll get there faster. You won't. And on top of that, you know, you have to listen to some conceptual words that, you know, clear away blood with blood, so to speak, right? Because what's happened so often is people have a realization, well, they have an insight, and then they become grandiose. Or getting the insight doesn't mean it'll just land in your same conceptual structure. So uh, there's uh, none. Uh, there's no authentic teachers I know that are that are going to say don't don't refine the intellect so you know exactly how it works and you don't have any fuzzy, stupid ideas. They all want it just crystal clear and they want your vase all cleaned out and as big as possible. Uh, you know, it's like... So that that's really important. So it, it, it really... Uh, it, it, it makes... You're going to end up having to do it Anyway, there's a famous there's a famous thing uh, uh, into uh, discussion. Jack Cornfield, you know, from Spear Rock, you know, met um, <laughs> Kalarimache, you know, a wonderful, uh, you know, Mahamudra master, and Jack said, like, could you just tell me succinctly? Um, what you know? What's the truth? And uh, bless his heart. He probably was a, the translator was there. Maybe maybe it was Ken. 
I could tell you, but you wouldn't understand it anyway. Because, you know, it, you're not just going to get bopped on the head. You actually have to loosen up the conceptual structure by using the conceptual structure. You have to see that it has built-in contradictions and you want to loosen it up that way. So it is very frustrating at first. But then you have a very big container and when you have an experience, it can turn into a realization because it's not immediately going to be... When we read second year, all the practice manuals really talk about don't, don't grasp after no thought and, and bliss and spaciousness, things like that, right? So the few times, like uh, Lotus View have given teachings from Pato Rinpoche, he's saying, interrupt that, right? And from, you know, people are confused, wait a minute, I thought that's where we're supposed to be. No, because Pato Rinpoche is talking about, you're, you know, it's very subtle grasping over like, okay, I want to keep that. Now I've got it. You know, or Mahamudra talks about. Well, now I've now I, okay. Now I figured it out. See that that's that's an unmatured intellect. Because when when you have uh, the non-conceptual experience, you don't want to ju- you don't want to jump to like uh, a harebrained explanation. So you you've done you, you've done that kind of cleaning out your system so uh, you know you don't have to immediately pop up watching your own meditation we're sitting there going you know okay I'm breathing and this is nice and then you start commenting on your experience right not just not just distraction like you know what's the air conditioning doing or or what am I going to do when I get home but you cleverly start commenting on your experience and then you comment on your comment. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> all right. The reason you're working through all this is you you can exhaust that. You you can exhaust that by by really seeing the limits and and the strengths of intellect because that's what's happening. That cognitive thought process will I hate to use this word, but will trump the experience so you can have a very deep uh, samadhi you feel like and you know like I'm cruising it's great but uh, the intellect is so powerful that it can tip you over because you haven't matured your thought process and you're wondering like what happened to that So it's not that the experience is faded. Nature of mind can't fade, right? You know, you can say, well, I had a glimpse of nature of mind and then it went away. You know, right? People say that, right? Didn't last. Well, of course, that can't be the nature of mind because the nature of mind's not going to go away. So what did you do? You short-circuited yourself. You went out, you know, you started figuring it out like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> now, now, how am I going to integrate that into my daily life? Mm-hmm. You shot, okay? So you know, 
you, you really just kind of like ahead of time, you already know through working through Madhyamaka that um, there's already a big sign that don't bother going there. Don't bother going there. <laughs> we should do a little sitting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. A few words about um, fruition practice. Sometimes we, you know, in um, Muhammad, do we say ground path and fruition, right? So, um, uh, so fruition is uh, uh, really just doing the next thing uh, fully. So uh, it, it's really that simple. What's what's the next thing you fully engage with? Like that, you know. Fruition isn't. Um, like parking space, just the next thing. So fully engaged with. So um, we're coming up with a, a name for the overall maintenance and cleaning and gardening here, and um, I may call that fruition practice, like that. So fruition practice isn't like, well, I, f- I figured it out. <laughs> No, it's this uh, activity, you know, just like, you know, view, meditation, and action, right? It doesn't say action, meditate, you know, or meditation at the end, or view at the end, view, meditation, action, ground, path, fruition, right? So, you're just, we're just doing the next thing, but with a full, with full awareness, right? We just take care of things in front of us. That's it. We just, oh, we just take care and appreciate things. They appear. That's easy, right? But it's hard if we have a whole bunch of explanations and solid, fuzzy self <laughs> uh, going on, right? So thank you for doing uh, uh, for doing this work. And um, uh, it, it's, uh, it's hard to say, sometimes... You know, think well. This is just too much, uh, you know. But um, this is what you'd have to do uh, in any in any setting of serious study and practice. Doesn't matter what monastery you're in. Doesn't have to be a Gelug monastery. You're, you know, you'd be working on Longchenpa or something like that, and you'd be going nuts. So it's same. Abhishekamayalamkara. Yeah, you'd be going nuts. You know, anyway. <laughs> So you're kind of stripping away explanations. You're stripping away, we could call them, my teacher asked to call them excuses. But I, you know, but I (laughs) don't. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.